Welcome to the first episode of Where Do You Get Your Ideas? Neil Gaiman said that it's the question that must not be asked of writers, but I'm going to ask it all the same, because as a writer myself, I'm fascinated by what inspires storytellers, and I know that lots of other people are too. Um, today, I'm super excited to be joined by Emma Stonex, whose um, book, The Lamplighters, is one of my favourite books I've read for a long, long time. Um, it's, it's sort of quite hard to describe, because it's a whodunit, a ghost story, a mystery, a love story, a psychological thriller, and it's also very, well, ultimately really, really readable on a page turn. It's also beautifully, beautifully written. So Emma worked in publishing as an editor before becoming a writer, and if I'm right in thinking this is her first book that you've written under your own name, but not your first book, is that is that right, Emma? Yes, that's spot on, yes. Excellent. So can you tell me a bit about, well, first of all, I have to ask you, do you mind being asked um, where do you get your ideas? No, and I think that it's the obvious question to ask. I think it's a really important question to ask. And I'm often asked it, um, and I often ask other people it because I'm fascinated. Um, it's the engine room, isn't it? It's where it all comes from. And I think inspiration is such a, a magical thing and is the beginning of, you know, it's not just novels, but anything creative, where does that come from? And some people talk about how it arrives already formed. Like a, a lot of songwriters talk about songs and melodies that just come from nowhere. Um, and so I think there's a certain lovely magic in discovering an idea for the first time and working out how you want to tell it. So I, I'm fully on board with this question. I think it's a great one. <laughs> So can you tell me a little bit, I mean you'll have to say, you're, the edition that I have of your book I bought from um, a local bookshop and you and they're lovely um, indie editions which I think is a lovely idea which is a lovely chapter at the back of the book which I think is an exclusive um, chapter for indie bookshops which actually talks about the inspiration for the book um, and I was fascinated to read that you read an article in the 40 and Times which I've since looked up actually because um, it yeah. sounds fascinating um, so this, I, I guess the, the way to describe this book is it's, it's inspired by real events. So it's not based on a true story exactly because you've shifted the location of it. Do you want to tell me a bit about the, the, real, the real historical events that inspired it and how you discovered, discovered the story? Yeah, so The Lamplighters is inspired by a real life vanishing of three lighthouse keepers who disappeared incredibly from their lighthouse in the Flannan Isles in 1900 and to this day have never been found. Um, they left some really spooky clues in their wake. The door was locked, the clocks were stopped. Um, it almost sounds like the beginning of a fairy tale, doesn't it? You know, it really sparks the imagination. And I, I read about this event in the 14 Times, which is, for people who don't know, it's a fortnightly magazine that kind of covers the, the weird and wonderful things that go on in the world, anything from sort of alien abduction to, um you know people seeing the face of jesus in their piece of toast so it really covers everything and it's quite tongue-in-cheek um but every so often you get these real life mysteries coverage of real life mysteries that are just so seemingly impossible that they can't help but hook the imagination and as soon as i read about this story something something was just inspired in me and it's something to do with lighthouses and the sea generally, just so atmospheric and so close to my heart, combined with this incredible locked room mystery essentially. And I thought, how could I interpret this, use this as a platform, but build an original novel from it? Oh, it's fabulous. So can you just explain why, because you've, 
this, the the original lighthouse um, is in the Hebrides. Is that is that correct? Yes. Um, yes. And you've moved your lighthouse to Cornwall, and you've also changed the era. So the original story was 1900s. You've made yours 1970. Is that is that yes, right? Yes, 1972. Yeah. Yes. 72. And so um, was that sort of out of respect for the original lighthouse keepers and their families, or what, why did you decide not to just to retell the original story? Mainly it was out of respect. Um, so at the beginning of the Lamplighters, I, in, I, I include an author's note where I say what these men were called, the real men who vanished. Um, because these were real people who presumably lost their lives and real families who have never had answers 120 years later. Um, and I think when dealing with any kind of real historical episode and attempting to reimagine it, you, you need to remain sensitive um, to those people and to the fact that this really did happen and not to sort of wade into it you know too heavily but to let it sort of breathe for itself still um, so I wanted to um, keep the line clear between fact and fiction so I thought the best way of doing this would be to move my lighthouse to a fictional lighthouse at the other end of the UK um, and Cornwall anyway is a place that's very special to me I also think it's the home of the most majestic tower lighthouses. So the tower lighthouses are the ones that come straight up out of the sea, like the Bishop Rock and the Wolf Rock. And those are all in, in the southwest of England. Um, so for me, that was a place that just felt like the best fit. And the 1970s, that was really because a lot of the reading I'd done around lighthouses and lighthouse keeping um, took place in that era and it was also a really interesting decade because it was the decade preceding automation nowadays all the lighthouses in the uk are automated so they're not manned anymore but in the 70s there was a sense of that about to come in so the manned lighthouse was um there was a sense of it dying out and what that might mean for a keeper who dedicated his whole life or came from a line of lighthouse keepers and for whom it was a lifestyle and they didn't perhaps know anything else. I find that really interesting. Um, and I also felt a little bit uncertain about um, writing Scottish vernacular from 1900. <laughs> I just thought, that's not my wheelhouse. I think I'll, I think I'll leave that to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, good, good point. Um, but I was also, um, I, I know you stayed in it, was it the Ballpoint Lighthouse in Devon that you said that, because the, the beautiful little cottages, because we have to say that the, the book, even though it's about the lighthouse keepers and the disappearance of them, it's also about the wives and the girlfriends they left behind, isn't it? Um, mm. as much, I mean, it's almost as much their story as, as it is the men themselves, because it's told from all these different perspectives of the three lighthouse keepers mm. and the three women um, mm. who, are, who remain on shore. Um, and they live in these um, Maiden Rock cottages, which is Maiden Rock is the name of your lighthouse. Um, and you said you based those, you, again, you were inspired by um, some cottages that you stayed in in Bullpoint. Do you want to tell me this? Yeah. Time? Yeah, so um, I, I decided when I started to write The Lamplighters that I wanted to um, just immerse myself in that atmosphere as much as I could. And tower lighthouses are virtually impossible to get access to. And nowadays they have helipads on the top, so you would need to go out in a helicopter um, and climb down through, through the lantern to get to the tower. Um, and I thought, because I knew that I wanted to write from these wives' perspectives and what really fascinated me was the idea of being married to or in a relationship with somebody who was away on this tower for so much of the year. The men would go off to the tower for eight weeks and then back home for four and then off for eight and back for four. So really for two thirds of the year, 
they were away. Um, and I found these cottages at Bullpoint in Devon, um, which were just so remote. And I remember driving down this very narrow track, praying that I wouldn't meet another car coming in the opposite direction because I'd have to reverse for a mile and I'm terrible at reversing, through three padlocked gates, eventually to get to this headland where these cottages were. And it felt so isolated, not least because it was, it was miles from civilization, but also because all I could see from the cottage was the sea. And initially it felt very liberating and like, oh, is this so inspiring? This is just what I need. But after a couple of days, it started to feel almost claustrophobic, which sounds bizarre because it was an open expanse of water, but it just gets into your bones. It gets into your head, the sea, when it's all you can see. Um, so it was a funny one. I was, I was only there for a few nights, but because I was completely alone, it was deeply intense and I've revisited it so many times when I was writing the lamplighters, it was hugely helpful. And it just gave me a little sense of what life might've been like for those women. These cottages have been beautifully renovated, but they've retained their slightly institutional feel. And it did still feel like that because it was provisional accommodation. So again, it just gave me this lovely insight into the loneliness of being connected in the lighthouse service. That's fantastic. I, I, I love that. And so, I mean, the, the, the element that I particularly, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Daphne du Maurier, as I guess you probably mm. are. <laughs> and, oh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? Um, but the sort of um, Cornish psychological um, thriller, gothic mystery, I, d I definitely felt there was sort of things that I love about her books. I, I also loved about yours, which I think is, and I, I'm a, I love Cornwall too. Um, but um, the, the, uh, the sort of supernatural element of it, I just found fascinating. Why did you decide to, was that in the original, um, was there a sort of element of that in the, in the, in the story written 14 times, or was that something you added in yourself? Yes, there's definitely an element of that around the original vanishing. I think around any unsolved mystery, there's always that hazy question mark of what if, what if it was something else? And I wanted to preserve that I wanted to have that in the lamplighters, but not too definitely. Mm. I think if you meet these things head on, they lose their power. So I had to approach it obliquely and, and, and really for it to set to work in the reader's mind more than on the page. Um, but the thing that fascinated me about the original event, about the Flannan Isles disappearance, um, was that visitors have claimed when they visited the island of Eileen Moor, where it happened, they've claimed to see three large birds circling the tower and when mechanics have gone to service the light they've seen these these three birds and they, they always I mean they, they say it's the same three birds who knows but I'll go with it as a writer yes. you know <laughs> um, people have also said that they've seen strange lights above the lantern in the sky um, and these things just all fed into this feeling of eeriness that I wanted to capture in the lamplighters and not to make it overtly a ghost story or overtly a horror story but just to have that feeling that I think is tied into lighthouses anyway and is tied into the sea, particularly the North Atlantic, that grey, briny, hugely isolating feel of that part of the world. Um, and yeah, I think for me, the supernatural was a really important thing to get in there, but I had to be rather subtle and insidious in the way that I did it. Mm. No, I love it. I think it adds a whole, whole different level to it, which is... Which is... Thank you spooky and, and atmospheric I mean the whole thing is so atmospheric because the lighthouses themselves are so 
um, I mean, you talk in your in this um, final chapter um, in the indie, indie versions of the book about um, the sort of symbolism of lighthouses and being sort of light and dark and a, a beacon and almost a haven that we we head towards, which I think is really part of their appeal, isn't it? It's, I mean, you, you said you've been in love with lighthouses for a long time. So what was the first lighthouse that inspired you, I suppose? Cool. Probably the Needles Lighthouse on the Isle of Wight. My grandma used to live in cows and... I think the Needles Lighthouse was the first one that really stuck in my mind. But then the whole of the Isle of Wight did as well, the Solent. Um, I used to be able to see the Solent from my grandma's window on her staircase. And I remember looking out at that water and it's just such a British water. Like, I mean, I love the Mediterranean Sea. I'm very happy to be there now, but there is just something really evocative about the British coastline, I think. Um, so yeah, it's just this feeling of kind of, you know, salt lashed wind battered lighthouses that just is in my heart. And I think that's part of the answer to your question about where these ideas come from is that you read a story like the Flannan Isles Vanishing and it connects with something that's already inside you. And for me, it was this feeling of these lighthouses. And then the more I learned about the people who worked in them, and the people who signed their lives to that service, the more interested I became in in what that life would have been like. I mean, I mean, yeah. Neil Gaiman talks about confluence in in his this interview that he does about ideas, and I think that's for me that's very that's very true, isn't it? So you 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 take a little bit of that and a bit of that, and you add it together, and you add yourself into it, and somehow you get this somehow you get a story out of it. Um, how did you research? Did you speak to lighthouse keep, former lighthouse keepers? Did you speak to how did you sort of go about getting into there? Because you magically portray the sort of slightly mad cabin fever of the lighthouse keepers and also the isolation and the the um, sort of, well, I mean, the women are interesting in your book because obviously they're, they're quite independent because they have to be because they're on their own. But at a time when women weren't particularly independent, were they? So um, how did you get into their heads and, and work out their voices? I read everything I could possibly read on lighthouses. Um, I read a lot of first person memoirs and accounts of life in the service and particularly around the 60s and 70s in Britain. I read a fantastic book by Tony Parker called Lighthouse and he was an oral historian and he interviewed lighthouse keepers and their families and the more I read the more the voices were all actually quite similar um, the first person accounts that I read, there's a great book called Stargazing by Peter Hill. And I was just able to tune into to, to the, the quality of the voices somehow. I, they, they were real to me. I cared about them. I fell in love with them. Um, I, I loved the idea of, of a principal keeper. So Arthur in The Lamplighters is a principal keeper, which means he's in charge of the light. Um, somebody who's dedicated their whole lives to this lighthouse and who feels such an affinity with the sea and then imagining somebody who hates the sea who really doesn't like it for whom that crossing over that rough water and that terrible way that they used to land lighthouse keepers of using harnesses and pulley systems and it just must have been horrendous particularly if you didn't like the water um, so this idea of these different characters came to me really early on and then of course the wives and in a way and I was thinking about this as I was writing The Lamplighters, it wasn't even a conscious thing, but my grandma, so the, the one that lived on the island, um, was married to a merchant seaman who was away, not on lighthouses, but away on boats, away on the sea for much of the year. And in a way, she was one of these lighthouse keepers' wives and would 
was living right on the water on her own, raising children on her own. And as you said, in those days, it was unusual for, for women to do that. I mean, it was a lot of the domestic responsibility still fell on women, but in a way, being left on, on her own meant that she had more autonomy and independence that she, than she might have had otherwise. And of course, then you get this strange relationship dynamic when the man, the father, the husband re-enters the home and he believes he should be head of the household and the children should respond to him. But actually his wife has been the one who's been in charge this whole time. So it was a really interesting look at relationships as well. And I wanted to bring that into the Lamplighters too. Yeah, I mean, you, there's lots of different relationships, aren't there? Because the women themselves, there's, um, there's, I mean, I think probably my my favourite of the men, I mean, I love Arthur because he's the principal life, life keeper, but, but Vincent, who's the junior, um, and Michelle, he's also, he's been in prison, hasn't he, Vincent? So there's all this, one of the, one of the, um, the elements of the story is sort of rumours, isn't it, and hearsay, and how pe and people telling their own stories, and how they interpret the past to a way that they want it to fit with their own sort of narrative. Um, and Vincent... Um, is the one that you, everyone thinks oh he must be him because he was he was in prison um and the women i think because of the, the i mean we, we won't obviously there's no spoilers um uh, here but um the the tragedy at the sort of heart of the story which actually completely um uh i, I just found really traumatic but um the women sort of rather than obviously the tragedy before the, the men disappear the one that actually leads to, to yeah. whatever happens to them we think um <laughs> but um uh I, I think the women, rather than being brought together by the tragedy, are actually separated by it, aren't they? And, and mm -hmm. the journalist who comes, or the writer who comes on to interview them afterwards, is trying to piece together the different rumours. How did how did you sort of um, tell the story and find the different? I mean, it, to me, it's, it's a very difficult narrative to control because you've got different, you've got rumours, you've got fact you've got it's set in the 20, 20 years ahead but there's all the different voices how did you keep track of all that and then um, and make sure it all came together in the right way well the short answer is I didn't and I tied myself in so many knots and I nearly oh my goodness yeah it nearly killed me this book <laughs> I must have drafted it well into double numbers like oh my goodness oh, really? but but I, I love that question because I there's there's so much around in, in the lamplighters that is about rumor and hearsay and versions of the truth and that was really important to me because of course we don't know what really happened to to the men who vanished on the flannan isles and the oxygen of that that's carried it through as a fascinating event over 120 years is because we don't know the answer and and the rumors the hearsay the what if you know those things keep events like that alive um as soon as we find out the truth, and I, I, I don't think we ever will in this case, but mysteries from the recent past that have gone on to be solved, um, suddenly, as soon as they're dropped in the real world, they sort of lose their magic and power. Um, and so that felt really important not to give a, a definitive answer myself. I wanted the reader to have a satisfying conclusion to the novel. And what happens at the end of the novel is what, I think happened mm. something along those lines anyway um, but I wanted the reader to have the space after closing the last page to disagree and to think actually it might have been what she said or what he said or yes, if that were true then this could be different and you know so that that carries on living after the last page um, and again sort of going back to what you touched on earlier 
about having respect for the real event. I think that's a more sensitive way of retelling a historical mm. episode by saying this is kind of what I think, but mm. it's not necessarily what happened. And I wouldn't be arrogant enough to assume that I had the answer. Um, but yeah, I think rumours and hearsay, huge part of the lamplighters and it was just a product of drafting and drafting and drafting and having a really good editor <laughs> otherwise I yeah I think I'd still be at sea otherwise <laughs> you were an editor yourself before weren't you so were you were you sitting on your shoulder editing yourself or did you manage to forget that you were an editor and and just be the writer and let someone else worry about editing afterwards well I've written several books as you have I don't know if you were you find this as well but you sort of think after a few i should have this down now i should be able to just to do this i've got a story here we go chapter one and every time it's like no this is all going wrong <laughs> so i think like my editing experience i definitely have the editing imp on my shoulder when it comes to punctuation and sort of you know having a something that's quite clean to show at least grammatically um but in terms of the structure of it and the characterization and story threads unraveling here and there and suddenly a character barging in at 60,000 words going the whole thing should have been about me actually <laughs> you know that is my editing experience doesn't help me with that it's just what happens every time <laughs> that's good to know in a way actually I find that quite hard though <laughs> um, I think we're all in the same boat aren't we like it's just oh gosh, every yeah. book is its own animal that you have to wrestle wrestle to the Floor. absolutely absolutely um so tell me how you look for your ideas do you i mean do you regularly read the Fortean times and do you sort of go actively look i mean i know that's a really weird question um because they sort of come to you from really weird places but do you do you, are there certain things you do that you know to keep yourself inspired with fresh stories or how do they come to you um not really i mean i read about the Fanonals years ago, it must have been about 10 years ago that I read that story in the 14 times. Um, I don't read that magazine regularly. I used to, I went through a phase of reading it and, and then it sort of went off the boil. Um, but I mean, even last night, uh, just scrolling through the news, I was, I was reading about um, the space tourism shuttles that Jeff Bezos is, was organizing. And just things like that, I find really fascinating. Like, so I started thinking about this entrepreneur and imagining like, you know, I guess lonely spaces inspire me. Um, space, the sea, um, you know, really remote rural spots. I guess, I guess those slightly isolated, um, uncharted territories really inspire me. And then putting the human condition into that and seeing how characters forge their way. Um, but yes, yeah, stories just sort of come out at me. I'm not really a conscious, conscious thing. I don't go about trying to find an idea if anything I have too many ideas and I'm always thinking oh that would be good that would be good and how could these things fit together you know you were talking about confluence and I think that's absolutely right the book I'm working on at the moment which that is giving me actually. where did that a headache oh my god that's two ideas which have come together and I'm starting to wonder if actually they're two separate novels because it's got very big um but then they they're also um, codependent I think now too codependent to separate <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah I'm just rambling I don't I've forgotten what the question was sorry I've just gone <laughs> sorry, um, how do you go looking for ideas but where, can you tell us a bit about the next book and um, what oh, is it still a secret um no it's not a secret it's based on another unsolved mystery Ooh. um which is just um, I just find yeah my thing my my fascination um and this is about an unidentified body so I'm really interested in questions of identity 
um, I'm interested in. So I have a um, forensic pathologist character in this new novel, and I love the idea of um, you know, the beauty of human anatomy and the idea that when a body expires, what is it that's been lost? Where's it gone? Um, so, you know, something that I find genuinely really fascinating combined with um this this mystery of of this man with no name um and it's set in the lake district so i'm moving away from the sea but to a, a landscape that is equally um important and inspiring to me my first novel was set in the lake district i spent a lot of time up there researching it i loved it wow what's the name of your first novel um it's um it's called isabella and it's about again it's, it's about the mutiny on the, it's, it's a sea story actually because it's about the mutiny on the bounty and, and the, the idea that fletcher christian might have returned back to the lake district and hidden on Belle isle which is the island in the middle of lake windermere and that's a story again that i mean i'd i'd ha i'd been fascinated by that story since i was a teenager um so yeah, yeah and i love that and the lake district is such an inspiring I mean, it always became a character for me in my book. And I guess, I mean, you're, that's something that, that um, I'm not going to talk about me, but this is all about you, Emma. But um, no, please do. I really, I, I, love know, to no, I want to interview you. Um, but so, so, I mean, place, obviously, that's, that's really interesting that you've chosen two places that I love, actually, and find inspiring. So Cornwall and the Lake District. Mm -hmm. And I mean, certainly in The Lamplighters, I feel that like Cornwall and the sea are characters in your book. So is that, and is the Lake District going to be a character in this book? Is, it, is, 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 the, is the whole ambiance of it inspiring the whole story, do you think? I hope so. That's, that's, that's what I'm hoping to do. I mean, in the Lamplighters, the sea, I didn't sort of write the sea consciously as, I, you know, I want this to be a, a, a big part of it. It just was because that, the lighthouse comes out of the sea and, and the women live on next to the sea. So it just kind of was. And I think the sea is a, is a really brilliant tool for an author because of the movement of it and and the movement of these voices and the lamplighters i i wanted the voices to sort of buffet the reader to and fro on different versions of events so the sea is something that's there as hopefully a, an atmospheric backdrop but also provides rhythm and momentum to the story um so in the with the lake district in the new one i'm hoping that i can capture some of that ancient beauty of those mountains that are just awe-inspiring and really um yeah just just a brilliant backdrop for drama um i just need to go up there i mean it's a good excuse isn't it yeah, to go and pull myself up in a have you been there yet to the lake district or i've been many times over the years um we went uh last august actually in between the lockdowns um and stayed on west water which was it was amazing actually because every other time i've been for lake district it's poured down with rain and the lakes have always looked quite hostile but in that summer sunshine we went swimming in the lake and it was oh my goodness it's a whole different side of it which was great to see um but i haven't been up since then and i think i if i can i should squeeze in <laughs> before delivering the book but yeah i mean i've visited so many times that it is it is in my bones i think um but we'll have to see how that comes out on the page mm. <laughs> so um my final question is are you worried do you ever worry that you will run out of ideas and that you it sounds like you won't actually from your previous um answer but um are you worried that you think oh what happens if i can't think about what to write next no i think i have my brain is too full i have other problem that i need to um focus on one thing at a time i'm always thinking oh this person would be good in this and and for a while so 
the silver man in the lamplighters for people who've read it mm. i i wanted he does he does belong in the lamplighters but he could also belong in another idea that i have and i for a while i was like is he is this him is this his story yes and it, it was he was too embedded in it by that stage but i think my problem is that i'm always tempted to sort of move things around and and perhaps put too many ideas together at once instead of just focusing so no i don't worry about running out the opposite <laughs> and how long does it take you to it's a question again that i mean i don't know if you um, get asked it but i get asked it all the time how long does it take you to to write a book generally well the books that i wrote before the lamplighters i wrote under three different pseudonyms and um sort of historical fiction and um women's fiction bonk busters i don't know if you've heard of those like jilly cooper type yeah, thing I have. um <laughs> great fun and they they took me less time to write they took me about six months for a first draft hmm. the lamplighters took me a year um and then probably in another six to nine months of editing um but the lamplighters because the idea was with me for years and years and years so while i was writing under other names i was surreptitiously researching lighthouses and it didn't feel like research with a capital r because it wasn't like i'm going to research now it was just something i did for pleasure mm. um i got into bed at night or you know in the bath so it didn't feel like work but it, it happened that when i sat down in 2018 to write the lamp lighters to begin it i had this lovely um wealth of, of knowledge about lighthouses that I just came to me organically over the years so researching a novel from scratch and then writing it would I anticipate take me a lot longer mm. um, than a year but that's what the lamplighters took to get the first draft down well thank you so much it's been wonderful to talk to you and I it's just been um as it's I just would urge everyone to go and to go and read the lamplighters because it's beautiful thank you so thank much. you so much Fiona thank you it's been a real pleasure thank you I'm going to stop recording now